Woo! Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Slasher Scotty. I am your host, Scotty McCoy, and boy, do I have a surprise for all of you. I have on Zoom with me right now Vincent DeSante, and he played Jason Voorhees in both Never Hike Alone and Never Hike in the Snow, among other things behind the scenes with, the, with that movie, those movies. And uh, he also played himself in the film 13 Fanboy, and my thing went off. There we go. Um, so how are you doing, Vincent? I'm doing pretty well. How you doing? I'm doing great. I'm so glad to have you on. I know we've been in talks for, you know, I would say about a couple months now, and we finally made this happen. So I'm really happy that you're here. Yeah, here. Yeah, it's nice. I finally got some time off. And uh, actually, I'm in Massachusetts right now visiting my parents. Nice. Uh, I haven't seen them since the beginning of the pandemic. So it's kind of nice to uh, yeah. get out and uh, enjoy the uh, enjoy, uh, you know, some time with the family. Absolutely. Especially, I mean, before the pandemic, that's at least going on two years. So that's actually, that's probably bittersweet. Yeah, no, it's, it's really nice to be here. I, this is where I grew up. So it's a nice, um, you know, it's a nice trip back home and able to sort of enjoy it and see my Absolutely. family and, Absolutely. and my old so stomping grounds. Yeah, exactly. So the first question I got for you is how did you get your uh, start into being a filmmaker? Um, it actually started in, uh, started really early. Um, I started doing, you know, video projects anytime I could when I was a child. Uh, anytime there was an excuse to pick up a camera and create something, um, I was always kind of running in that direction. I never really thought about turning, you know, film into a career. I did think about like broadcast journalism. Uh, when I went to school, I did study broadcast journalism as my first major. Um, you know, I always wanted to be a sports broadcaster, sports journalist in some way, shape or form, work at ESPN. Um, but through the process of doing journalism I actually started to discover more and more about filmmaking and the process of editing and the process of directing and making documentaries and other things like that so in college is when I really made the transition um, I started editing and started cutting and it wasn't until I graduated college I decided to move to Los Angeles and pursue a, a career in film that's awesome that's awesome and never hike alone is probably one of the better fan films out there um, it really is. It, it's got so much depth to it. I love the, the original, like the Never Hike, the first Never Hike Alone when you gave homage to all, like where all the deaths happened with the markers and everything mm -hmm. like that. That was really a really interesting way to make, you know, to put a spin on it and basically go, give homage back to the uh, original film. Yeah, no, it was it was definitely something that be, that came up during the process of what happens if you found Crystal Lake, what would actually be left. And um, in my head, I sort of there were so many different things that happened in the franchise. The, you know, Crystal Lake changed his name and, you know, this camp and that camp. And I sort of just wanted to go back to the bare essentials of yeah. what started everything. Like, where did this all begin and what would be left behind? And yeah. if someone was watching this film and didn't know much about Friday the 13th, you know, they wouldn't get it if I was making references to a specific death in one of the sequels at this thing. And it was just like, as soon as you start to go down those avenues, you start to lose a lot of audience members. Mm -hmm. um, and so going back to the basics and sort of saying, Hey, all of this happened, but let's not erase the original place. Let's, let's keep that as a firm sort of stepping stone in this story to, to tell the story from the original film. And then, all of the events of the of, of the other films sort of cascaded off of this original. But let's take our audience back to, to the first moments. Um, you know, I started to research sort of what would be left behind and talking to an actual uh, 
police um, advisor on a set of, an, of a TV show that I was working on, I asked him, I said, you know, what happens to a, to a crime scene if no one's around to clean it up? He says, well, it stays. It's like the police don't clean it up. You know, the state doesn't clean it up. Only the people who are supposed to clean up what happens is uh, the people who own the property. And right. so me using my brain, I went, well, Steve Christie was probably the last mm-hmm. surviving Christie. And he was the one who owned it. After that, it goes into state lands. So I don't think anyone's going to pay to get it cleaned up. So these, you know, these um, crime scenes could last all of this time. They wouldn't take down the tags. The bloodstains would still be there. The markers would still be there to a certain degree. Um, So with that in mind, I just started to kind of weave that into the story to give something to discover along the way that would be interesting for us as an audience now but anyone who knows friday the 13th or is interested about friday the 13th would feel like connected to it it feels like we're connected to the series through these um through these events that we remember happening so wanted to tie them into the original film and i think that that sort of was the best formula for it right so i guess Mostly everybody knows about never hike alone and never hike in the snow. But if somebody's watching this and they never saw it before and maybe even never heard of it, can you kind of tell us what both of those films are about? Give us a brief synopsis about them. Yeah, Never Hike Alone is about a backwoods blogger who discovers a lost trail um, on his during his episode that leads him to Camp Crystal Lake. Um, he eventually does a search of Camp Crystal Lake discovers Jason Voorhees is still alive and well, and then has to survive uh, a night in the fourth with Jason uh, chasing him down. Um, It's very much a survival tale, like 127 hours of the Martian, Um, you know, a man versus nature, one V one, not your typical Friday the 13th, but more of a, for the type of fan that's like, I bet I could survive a Friday the 13th. I bet if you put me up, if I ran into Jason in the woods, if I could survive, and Never Hike in the Snow is, is like the complete opposite. It's not about a story of survival. It's a story of death and sort of the permeation of what happens when someone dies and what are the what is the fallout of that. Um, you know, Never Hike in the Snow is about this young hiker by the name of Mark Hill that goes missing um, and sort of the fallout from his death um, and him going missing and how the town reacts to it. And we have, you know, the characters of Tommy Jarvis and Rick Cologne all with their own investigations. You have his mother, um, who doesn't know what happened to him and no one can really tell. And so it's really, um, it became a different type of story from the sense of if Never Hike Alone was the story about how Jason's rediscovered, Never Hike in the Snow is a prequel. Um, it happens three months before Never Hike Alone and is more of a story about like, how has Jason been able to, been able to remain hidden all these years? What are the factors that have to be in place uh, for a character like Jason to maintain his secrecy? And so that's where, um, aside from just giving fans, uh, you know, something which they've always wanted, which is to see Jason Voorhees in the snow, the story behind it all is sort of how Jason's been able to maintain his cover for all these years um, and sort of what he's been dealing with and what, you know, how the curse sort of affects him. So it was a different style, of, again, different style of Friday, which is sort of our, our MO. It's not just doing the same thing, not just introducing a bunch of people that are going to be cannon fodder to die, but following these stories that sort of bring a little bit more depth and character to the world of Friday the 13th. Absolutely. That, that's actually, um, and both movies are really good. Um, so we know you have two of them out. Do we, can we expect a third one? Yeah, the plan right now is to do uh, Never Hike Alone 2, which will be a direct sequel to both uh, 
never hike in the snow and never hike alone. It's funny writing a sequel to, to two movies is, is, is an interesting uh, venture. Um, it's a story that I've had in my mind for a long time. And in fact, I knew what I wanted out of Never Hike Alone 2 before I ever wrote Never Hike in the Snow. Um, the only issue was uh, it's a big movie. Uh, or it was a big movie. It was a very big movie. And I thought that maybe I would have a chance to pitch it to some studios. Um, and I didn't really scale back the vision and really think about it realistically for a while until um, until I started to figure out how I could do it. Originally, we were going to do a three, four-part series of, uh, of stories that were going to start with Never Hike in the Snow and carry us all the way through the Never Hike Alone 2 storyline um, and be split up into Never Hike Alone 2, 3, and 4. Uh, but with the pandemic slowing everything down, we realized that we probably don't have another two years to make these movies. Um, you know, I, I have my own career. I, I do my own thing. I got to work it in between there. So trying to fit it all in with everything, I was like, you know what, maybe it's time to go back and, and go back to the drawing board with Never High Clone 2 um, and figure out sort of a more cost-effective way to tell the same story without all the big theatrical things and maybe thinking about what are the story elements? What are those theatrical things that we can execute like in Never Hike in the Snow and Never Hike Alone? We were able to reach, you know, theatrical level of, of filmmaking, you know, when it came to the camera work and the effects work and the stunt work and being able to weave that into a little bit of a smaller story that we would be able to handle with our team um, but mostly be able to fundraise through crowdfunding. So right now, the idea is that sometime this year, we will launch a crowdfund uh, for Never Hike Alone 2 based on a script that has a, um, a pared down budget. Mm -hmm. um, and as long as that budget is something that we can reach through our fans, then we're going to give it and we're going to give it a go. And, and that's sort of, of what it is, because we bring the story to conclusion. The story will follow Tommy Jarvis. Um, he will be the main character, uh, played by Tom Matthews, who played Tommy Jarvis in Friday the 13th Part 6, and Freddy in Return of the Living Dead. I think everyone knows who Tom Matthews is. Uh, Vinny Guastafar, who played Sheriff Rick Colon, will come back. He reprised his role as, uh, as, as Rick. Um, Diana Campbell will come back. I mean, uh, I'm sorry. Uh, uh, Anna Campbell, not Diana, okay. although it rhymes. <laughs> Uh, Anna Campbell will come back and play Diana Hill, who is Mark Hill's mother in uh, Never Hike in the Snow. And then, of course, we'll be welcoming back Andrew Lady as uh, Kyle McLeod uh, to continue that story, which will pick up um, three months after Never Hike in the Snow on the same day as Never Hike Alone and see Tommy's story and how he found Kyle. And then what he's going to do now that he knows that Jason uh, is back and how is what is his plan to deal with Jason? Nice. So that, will this be a, like a full theat like a full like length film or a short film? Um, I mean, you know, Never Hike Alone was about an hour. Never Hike in the Snow was a half hour. Um, the original script probably would have been an hour and a half. Uh, I'm trying to get it into sort of this real sweet spot that I think I discovered with um, with Jason Rising, uh, which was, you know, I'd done Never Hike Alone and thought like, oh, man, like I really wish I could have added a half hour to this film. Um, I did Never Hike in the Snow and everyone was like, what is this? It's a, you know, it's, it's a pilot. We wanted a full movie, but I, I don't think people understand really, really understand what it takes to make one of these movies, especially financially, time-wise, um, you know, when people aren't getting paid to do these things, uh, people are volunteering their time. So it's really tough to say, hey, I want to do a full length feature film and I want it to maintain this level of quality. Mm -hmm. um, I could make a 90 minute film, but the degradation of quality throughout the, there will just be scenes of people talking for too long and, yeah. you know, all this, and thing. So I want to keep it fresh. I think probably like an hour, if it's mm -hmm. going to go over an hour, it's going to be hour 15. Mm -hmm. um, I want it to be solid. 
you know, I want the whole thing to, to, to match the same level of quality filmmaking that we had before. So it's going to be probably between somewhere between an hour and hour 15. Awesome. Awesome. So um, you had Tom Matthews return and obviously Vinny Gustafero made his debut in Never Hike Alone before Never Hike in the Snow. Um, so how was how what did you go about bringing them on board for these films? So at first, Tom Matthews is brought on by a good friend of ours and the executive producer, Barry Jay, who I met through Making Never Hike Alone. He uh, was one of our first big backers on our Kickstarter that actually didn't go through, but uh, it turned out that Barry lived in L.A. at the time, uh, was a big fan, liked what we were doing. And even though we didn't reach our goal, uh, decided to jump on as executive producer just outright, just as a personal um, personal attachment to the film. We started working together. He introduced me to, to Tom uh, through a through a friend of his, uh, they were sort of working on a business deal at the time and, uh, they had introduced Tom to him as a favor for his birthday. Mm -hmm. Um, they went out and, um, had a dinner and, uh, Barry mentioned never hike alone to him. And Tom really wasn't that interested in it at first. He, <laughs> you know, he thought, you know, fan film, what, what really could it be? And it wasn't until he saw the trailer, uh, that he realized that we were, we might've been up to something. So I met with Tom a little bit after that. I showed him a little bit more footage, um, kind of told him what the story was about. I, and, and from the very beginning, the idea with Never Hike Alone was always that he was going to be a cameo, that I wasn't going to ask too much of him. That I, you know, I was like, listen, I don't want to take four or five days of your time. I don't know if I can afford four or five <laughs> days of your time. But if I can get you out there for a day, then we can make this really special thing happen for Friday the 13th fans that we'll go out, we'll do our job, we'll make our movie. And then there's this epilogue scene where there's an ambulance and all these different things. And if you show up during that scene, you can, you know, surprise fans around the world because they're not going to be expecting it. And let's give some Friday the 13th fans something to, to smile about. And, you know, obviously it ended up working out. We kept that secret for almost a year. Uh, people didn't know until we released the film in 2017 on the night that we released it, that, that he was in it. So that was like our gift to fans to, to bring him back and to know that, that Tommy was still alive and well. Very hard secret to keep. <laughs> it was, I mean, I wanted to tell everybody, mm -hmm. but I knew that it was worth keeping it secret yeah. because of, of that feeling that it was going to give people that feeling of, of something they'd never seen before, especially in a fan film, yeah. um, to, to have this type of, of participation in it would have been great and so once never hike alone was done and it became successful you know tom and i really pushed hard to try to get into the studios and do pitches and pitch to production companies to say this is a this is a venture worth investing in and this is a story and that this isn't something that just doesn't have to be on youtube this is something that could go to a streaming service this is something that could be on hbo max or um you know, or Netflix or something. And we spent a lot of time working together on that. And in the process, he had he asked me, he said, hey, would you have any interest of having um, Rick come back? And I was yeah. like, yeah, of course. Like, in fact, I was going to ask you if you knew Vinny and because it seemed to make sense. He was the cop that was there when, yeah. you know, when you were in the film. So let's pull that rivalry back together. Right. And it just so happened that you know, Vinny and Tom were friends already. Um, they kept in touch. Vinny ran a, um, he, at the time he ran um, an acting class uh, in North Hollywood that was uh, not far from where I was working at the time. I was working on a show called The Rookie for ABC uh, in their first season at the time. And um, his acting class was down the street. So I used to leave work, 
go to his acting class. I would shadow his acting class. Um, I mean, before that, Vinny uh, and I were set up on a, on a little breakfast date uh, through Tom. We met. I pitched him sort of where I saw Rick. I pitched him the original idea for Never Hike Alone 2. And he was like, wow, that's wild. I don't know how you're going to do it, but we'll figure it out. And then through the process of getting to know Vin and and going to his class and things like that, we had developed the idea of, of you know, never hiking the snows, a way to introduce him, um, the way that he can be the antagonist to Tommy's character who's trying to figure out this mystery. And you have, yeah. you know, Vinny's character, Rick, in his way. It, it made a lot of sense. And so it just sort of developed from there. And, and now we're all just really good friends. Um, awesome. You know, we love talking about film. And I, I, you know, I wish them a happy, you know, Merry Christmas the other day. We, we keep in touch. And, and so it's been really cool. It's a really surreal experience, honestly. That's awesome. Now, um, it's hard to make a Friday the 13th fan film, um, especially because the fan bases can be very critical. They know what Jason they want. They know what plotline mm-hmm. they want. They, and they will rip yeah. the shreds if, it, if it's not a good movie. But it, it could be and it's very complicated to get the right person to play Jason. Obviously, you were an amazing Jason. Um, it would be even harder to uh, recreate a Mrs. Voorhees. Do you do you happen to think of either a having a Mrs. Voorhees type of film, maybe like a a, a prequel to the first film, maybe? Would that be an option? Um, I mean, I do I do have a good story for Pamela. Um, I don't know if I'll ever get a chance to make it, but I always kind of had this. Um, you know, one of the things I think that's a smart way to go into telling a Friday the Thirteenth story is to look at the, a lot of the material that's already there. Don't try to reinvent the wheel. Right. Um, don't try to take characters that don't belong in certain situations and and try to and try to undo what we know. But if you're gonna do it, you sort of gotta you got to have sort of something that feels or you got to let the audience know where you're at and, and, and sort of the deeper you go into Friday the 13th and the more nuanced you try to get, the harder it is. It sort of is to maintain, you know, consistency with the fans because they'll start to pick things apart. You know, I think that, you know, it was a big challenge in Jason rising for us to have the Pamela Voorhees character come back, but I, I sort of loved the concept of it. And I liked that it was a new, a new sort of, um, branch of what it was. And, and it was kind of advertised that way. And I think that that was sort of the way to go about it was that you, we were advertising that it was different. Um, but as far as like my sense and the way that I like to tell stories, for, especially with Friday the 13th, is I try to p- pick things that don't feel, that feel that they could fit right in. That if you had this film and you put it up there with the rest of the franchise, that even though the franchise doesn't really fit together that well on its own because of different continuity errors and things like that, that you can come up with something that almost felt even more grounded than everything else that was there. That's what Never Hike Alone is. Never Hike Alone feels like, even though it doesn't have some of the more, you know, it's not specifically like, oh, these have changed and that's changed. It was like, it feels like a story that could have picked up anywhere in the Friday the 13th right. world. Um, you know, when it comes to specifically Pamela, I think the most important story about her her upbringing, um, sort of who, how she became who she was, are these missing years in between when Jason goes missing and she starts killing people um, in 1957. And then what happens in 1980, what happens in 1963, what happens in 1967. So there's a story sort of in there between what happened to Pamela and what was that turn? When did she go from a mother bereaving the loss of her son into a woman that decided that she was going to take revenge and she was going to kill people. And what are the things that drove her to it? Um, 
And how did, you know, how did she get to where she was? And so there is a story that I tell, there's a, there's a feature version of, of what I could tell. Honestly, I'd love to just tell the short. Um, yeah, I, I think there's a, there's a story in there, obviously, about, nice. about Pamela. It's just I a matter of uh, the funds, really. That would be awesome, too. And I know that, um, that like, you know, you have Tom Matthews from Part 6. You have Vinny Gustavero mm -hmm. from Part 6. It seems like there is a Part 6 trend, you know, so to speak, with, with this films. Do you have any plans or, or would you be open to doing another Part 6 that was originally supposed to be in there but was off the chop, you know, it was kind of cut at the end with Elias Voorhees? Would we introduce Jason Father? Um, yeah, but I don't think it would be in the way that many people think of him, even Tom. I mean, I've met Tom McLaughlin. We've talked about this at length, uh, sort of how I see the Elias Voorhees character. And, and honestly, I feel like, you know, the whole story of Friday the 13th is about a mother and a son. Mm -hmm. the, the father aspect of him being evil or him giving Jason some sort of power and all this stuff, it sort of doesn't sit right with me. It feels like a change of everything. Uh, I know some fans want that and, and that's sort of some fans have pursued it and they, they've tried to tell that story. But honestly, Elias, I think that if people were expecting something out of Elias in the story that I would tell, they'd probably be really disappointed because Elias would serve a very specific role and not much beyond that. Although knowing that Tom tried to work something in, there's a way that I could reverse engineer what Tom was doing into this story about Pamela that I wanted to tell and sort of where Elias falls into the fray and why he sort of has this thing. And I think that it would be like with everything I've done, it's, it's a more emotion, emotional arc. You know, it's not there to be like, he's the snidely whiplash evil character. Mm, I'm really the evil one. And Jason's my spawn. Or, right. you know, I've seen some of the comic books that have made Elias this like right. fat, like, wife beating Rob Zombie type character who, you know, it's just, it's so typical, like the rape angle, the abusive dad angle, like, honestly, like Ronnie from playing, Halloween 2007. <laughs> yeah. And, and in my head, you know what I think he was, I just think that, you know, if you, if you follow the stories, like, honestly, like a lot of the answers for Friday the 13th are in, in there and they're good answers. Like, you know, my backstory for Pamela really comes from uh, Betsy Palmer's backstory for Pamela, which was that, you know, Elias, whoever Jason's father was, was a high school sweetheart, uh, high school sweetheart that skipped out on the responsibility of, of the child, um, of ownership of that child to say that that was his and to sort of turn her back, turn, and it's the first time that somebody turned their back on Pamela. Right. And that that's Pamela's theme is people turning their back on her it's you know her parents turning their back on her not raising jason sending her out to live on her own you know being out in the world with this child and having nobody you know give her any sort of um any sort of help they look down on her because it's the 50s you know it's the 40s and the 50s where she's had a child out of wedlock so she's yeah. this you know promiscuous um you know negative negative associations with her everywhere she goes and that she has trouble holding down a job. And anytime anything goes wrong, people will cut her loose really, really quick. And it's just people turning her back on her entire life, all the way up into the point where her son is killed due to negligence and nobody wants to take responsibility. And it's that moment where she snaps. And so it's, it's really, that's the core Friday the 13th to me. It's people turning their back on these people until she won't take anymore. And so she acts in vengeance and that the curse is her acting in vengeance, not just for what happens at Camp Crystal Lake, but how she's treated her entire life. Mm 
And I think that that's an emotional story that, that deserves to be told. And that Elias saying that Elias somewhere along this line is this has any sort of power over the way Jason came out. It, it takes everything away from Pamela. And I think it, it's yeah. counterinductive and it's counterintuitive to the actual story of Friday the 13th. Yeah, I always saw Pamela and even Elias, even though we haven't seen Elias, I've always seen them as normal humans. Because if you look mm -hmm. at it, Pamela was a human being. She wasn't supernatural. She mm -hmm. was a regular woman that worked at Camp Crystal Lake as a cook when her son was a, was a child. Her son drowned and she grieved for his, for his loss and wanted to avenge his death. That's a simple, you know, mother grieve, oh, you know, a, a mother that lost her child that wants to take revenge against the people that pretty much killed her son. And then she didn't want to reopen this camp because of the whole, you know, the whole issue. Like she doesn't want it to happen to anybody mm -hmm. else. So, mm -hmm. and I can see it with Elias. I don't see him really as supernatural. I mean, Jason really didn't become supernatural to part six when he was resurrected. You know what I mean? I mean, technically you want to go into the lore of it. You'd have to go by the first film. And in the first film, yeah. Jason did die. Uh, exactly. You ask Victor Miller and Sean Cunningham, there is no, there is no, thing saying that like he survived and, and you know and even in part two there is no specific dialogue in the that film that says jason that was jason what, how do you think he survived um he didn't he died mm -hmm. he drowned in that lake, and his body was never found and it wasn't until his mother's death that he was somehow resurrected and became a living embodiment of the curse and so whatever that is in the in the woods running around all that time is this confused revenant this ghost uh, and that's why we call him Ghost Jason. It's, yeah. You know, he's this sort of, he doesn't know what he is. And it isn't until he starts to take damage and die and resurrect every single time that he starts to realize that he's a lot more than what he was. You know, it's, you know, it, we kind of messed with it in Jason Rising where like you see the moment where they're putting Jason in the ground and Jason wakes up again and tries to get out. You know, I ended up without even knowing it, you know, I made this, you know, I made this prediction, not prediction, but this is sort of like the theory that I've been living by for a long time. But after I sort of like went all in on this theory, I had a chance after 13 Fanboy to, to meet up with Judy Ronson and she took me to a screening of part four mm -hmm. and I got to meet Joe Zito. And so sitting down with Joe Zito at dinner after the screening, you know, I, I flat out asked him, I said, what is Jason to you? And he says, well, he's dead. Like he's dead in Friday the 13th, the final chapter. I didn't really tell many people that, but at the beginning of the movie, you know, in the barn, he's dead and he reanimates. And that's just what he is. I didn't think too much of it. He's Good just, point. that's what he is. He died as a boy and he keeps coming back. And so, you know, how to explain how he grew, how to explain all these different things. I mean, that's a, I think about it less because of the supernatural aspect of it. And I do believe that somehow, some way that he is cursed. And right. he is doomed to repeat this sort of cycle of blood, um, I, I you know, this, really this like death that. curse. Yeah, he, he's, he's, yeah, he's doomed to, to repeat this death curse. And at first, he's filled with all that rage of his mother. You know, all that anger and hate yeah. and everything that she brought into what she did when she was killing people and sabotaging the camp and doing that fed into him. Yeah. But after a while after again being killed multiple times over and over again and reliving his own sort of nightmare reliving his own death over and over again even he starts to question it and that's the jason that appears in our films is this jason who is much wiser and older than the than the jason that we meet in the films from the from the paramount series who is just embodiment of rage and and that after a while that rage dissipates and it's just him 
And so when we see him and disappear, when we see him and never hike in the snow, when we see him and never hike alone, he's this much more cautious, cautious monster who's trying to remain hidden, who's trying to avoid conflict because conflict always leads to his death. And so he, and so that you can kind of with that, with that kind of understanding, go back and watch these films that we've made and understand that these are the decisions that Jason making. Like, why isn't Jason attacking right away? Why isn't Jason doing this? Why isn't Jason doing that? Well, if you're a character that's trying to remain hidden and not create a big stir, so Tommy doesn't come looking for you and the cops don't come looking for you, what are the decisions you're going to make? But what happens when you do accidentally be seen like you never hike in the snow? There's an accident. You know, he gets caught on camera. He doesn't mean to you know he's not doing anything malicious to the mark character he's just keeping an eye on him and it isn't until he gets himself caught on camera that he has to act it isn't until kyle mcleod stumbles into his lair where he's hiding and discovers his mother's head that he realizes that someone else is actually living in the camp and he actually has to now jason has to step in because this guy's going to go bring the cavalry you know jason is giving people chances to escape but they sort of damn themselves and he has now long now he no longer has a choice he has to act and he will do what he needs to do to protect himself but he's not out there looking for it because he knows that eventually it will lead to you know yeah uh either his demise or an extreme amount of pain or just the separation between him and his mother so it's sort of like again it's 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 re-examining this this storyline that was literally just there to create body count films um but saying like no i think that there's a story to be told here and this is um this might be a way to do it yeah and it's funny that you said like that it's a death curse because it goes back to the saying of the first movie when crazy ralph says Mm -hmm. it has a death curse it makes you think jason even though he was dead in the first one he was dead as a boy, but who, who's to say he didn't see his mom get decapitated? Who's to say he wasn't alive yeah, and hiding in the woods the whole time? Yeah, and like, you know, and thinking about like, if that spirit called out to his mother, would it drive her crazy? Sort of what I want to tell that story about Pamela about is the fact that like, you know, Friday the 13th, a movie about, you know, sex, drugs, and killing uh, is actually at the center of it is the story of two people who loved each other very much, very much like... Um, uh, in Psycho, Norman Bates and his mother, yeah. um, the fact that they are connected through death, that even though Norman Bates is the one acting out the kills, that actually it's Norma living through him and that he truly believes that. And I think that in a sense that, you know, Friday the 13th has a lot of similarities to Psycho. And especially in the storytelling, especially in, in the way it's constructed, um, elements are reversed obviously obviously it's the son who dies and the mother who, who's mm-hmm. doing it in the first film but that you could you know imagine that jason was so connected to his mother that even after he's, he died his soul couldn't move on because he couldn't move on without his mother he never did anything in his mother so his soul stayed on this side of of the existence of the afterlife mm-hmm. and so stuck in between still connected to his mother still calling out to his mom um is what drove her crazy it's her hearing his voice when she talks in his voice when she's doing those things and so everything that that my brain comes up with is usually rooted in something that is evident in the films so like and and evident based on like something that betsy palmer would have said in an interview about the character something that's actually in the film like the death curse 
saying it out loud and saying, okay, if you're going to actually expand upon this and use this and create something out of it, it's got to be existing within the movie first, or it's got to be existing within the lore somewhere first, and then it can be built off of rather than inventing something, which I think that like, that would be my biggest problem with Jason Goes to Hell is that Jason Goes to Hell invents all these different things, Mm -hmm. that it creates family that's never been established before. It creates this notion that Pamela went and sought out the Necronomicon, even though she's not an evil woman, nor did she ever give us give us any sort of um, inclination that she was into the occult. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, it seemed it seemed like it didn't match the character. Mm-hmm. So if it doesn't seem true to the character, then I don't. It's tough for me to to connect to that material. So everything that I write, I have to connect to the material in a way that if this showed up in a Friday the Thirteenth film, it didn't feel like it came out of left field. But it feels like I can watch a previous film and say, ah. This, this is what added to that. And, yeah. and that's sort of, I think a cool, um, it's a challenge, you know, it yeah. definitely limits your potential because if you just, if you throw out the baby with the bathwater, you can do whatever you want. You can, and that's, you know, a lot of these fan films, you can do that. You can come up with something completely original and tell your own story, but for our specific sort of modus operandi, that is, that is the goal. And that's where we start everything from is if it exists in the film, then it can transcend into our films. Right. And I want to get your thoughts on this because this is something I've always thought about. And somebody else may have said it at some point or another. Maybe that's where I picked it up. I don't remember where I got this idea from, but it, and it most likely will never happen. But it's something that I always thought would be cool. Outside of fan films, you know, we have like, including Freddy versus Jason, we have well, Friday the 13th. So the next one would be the 13th one, whenever the lawsuit is, you know, kind of mm-hmm. mingles down a little bit. But, uh, so I was always thinking, how about what if we get all the survivors, final girls, final guys, all the ones that survived, come to Camp Crystal Lake to take Jason down mm-hmm. once and for all? What do you think about something like that? I know it's very lo- a big long shot. Well, I mean, I, I've actually heard, I've had this pitched to me before. Um, yeah. You know, I, I you know I helped Jeremy Brown when he was in the early stages of Vengeance. It was something called Mythos, which was very much that. Uh, it was much about the survivors of the descendants of, of Jason kind of coming back and, and seeking him out and trying to destroy him. Um, honestly, when you put it down on paper and you actually try to execute it, it becomes a challenge because you're trying to serve all these different stories. You're trying to serve all these different lineages of all these different movies. And it sort of starts to get convoluted and you start to lose a lot of your audience because outside of the Friday the 13th world, people are like, who are these people? What is this thing? Um, Even with Tommy Jarvis, you know, it is to a certain degree, even though we focused in on his, I I think it's smarter to sort of focus and hone in on each individual character's sort of closure with the character versus trying to give them all, because it's like, who do you give the sword to? You know what I mean? Like, who's the one who battles down Jason? Like, are you really going to start taking out other final people just to get down to the final, final person? Right. That's, that's the hard part. Uh, You know, I think that like, there's, there's certain, there's certain ways to do it, but honestly, I I think the smarter thing is to do is to pick your character and like, you know, for, for never hike alone, it's, it's Tommy Jarvis and he, it's his arc. It's continuing his, you know, he's already done three movies so far, you know, in the, in the series. And I think that he is sort of like the penultimate um, character for the series because he goes through that decades worth arc to say like his relationship with Jason and how it affected his life. And now to continue that in the later stage of his life to say that like, Mm -hmm. he was supposed to have destroyed Jason, but we had more movies. 
So Jason got resurrected. So his work got undone. And so now he has to go back and, and finish what he started. Yeah. Makes sense as an arc, you know, with, you know, when it came down to, to do Jason rising and we did, you know, we brought back Alice and, you know, Ginny, there's a nice dynamic there, you know, Ginny becoming Alice as, as, um, psychiatrist um and working with her through her her dealing of trying to find find it uh you know working it into our story and to say that like our character was one of the people that helped alice um it, it helps kind of like simplify and and keep the story straightforward and gives our favorite character or, or a a fan's favorite character their just desserts they they are the main focus that they are the one who gets the resolution um and they get there because let's say i had a story about alice and tommy well, if Alice gets her resolution and Tommy doesn't get his resolution or Tommy gets bumped off, then you're going to have, you know, it's not going to feel right. right. So I, I understand totally like the, honestly, I, I think the, the, the best way to sort of bring those characters together was the way that 13 fanboy did it. Yeah. Um, I think that that was a little bit more of a, a better way, a better story to bring a bunch of characters that we love and know together around something because it wasn't, because it takes it out of the expectation of who they were in the films and puts them in a position where it's actually like a real life danger that then resets the clock kind of on them. Like nobody, like nobody's safe. Um, You know, I think that that was a, was a cool way to do it. The, you know, it's, yeah, I I don't know. I, I think that it's, it's a lot more fun when it's, when it's focused than it is versus like all the characters coming together to, to right. tell their story. Right. And I, I was speaking of 13 fanboy. Um, I ordered, I ordered that on Amazon right when it came out, but I didn't want cool. to watch it until Halloween. I, I, every Halloween, me and my boyfriend and his on, we always have a Halloween party and uh, mm. like a little Halloween get together at my place. And uh, we end up, uh, we end up, I was like, every time we watch a movie, like we have to watch a movie from then. And I was like, let's watch 13 Fanboy this year for Halloween. And I'm not going to lie. I, I don't know if I can say the spoilers yet, um, but I will say the two killers, Wink, um, it was shocking. Can I say who they were? Am I allowed to spoil that yet? Yeah, I mean, I think it's been, I think it's been enough, know, right? It's been a few months now. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I think I can say it. So obviously you well, Spoiler were- alert. Spoiler alert, you were one of the killers. Um, You and Judy Aronson uh, were one of the killers. Honestly, I didn't know who they were going in, even though everybody watched it pretty much day one. I didn't know. I stayed away from that. I stayed away from Debbie Sue's uh, group. Oh, I well, did. I think I think they I think everybody did a good job of keeping it pretty low key, which was I nice. Think so yeah, that, that was that's a, that's a really good good part part too because not everybody wants to be spoiled. Not everybody can see it right when it comes out. Um, exactly. Yeah, and I, I I knew from the beginning you were going to be one of the killers. I don't know how, but I had a feeling you're going to be one of the killers. Take that as a compliment, I guess. Um, Judy Aronson's really took me by surprise. I thought yeah. she, I thought she was going to be the one to save the day, which she did. I didn't know the twist at the end where she was going to be also in cahoots with. Yeah. That was a shocker. <laughs> that was really well done. But one That's thing fine, yeah. I really enjoyed about that uh, film was your fight with CJ Graham. I thought that was really good. I thought going, I knew there was going to be a fight between the, the main killer and one of the main stars. And I had a feeling it was going to be you, of course, with Kane Hodder. When Kane was taken away so quickly, I was like, shit. And I was so glad that they gave CJ Graham his moment to shine, you know, mm-hmm. 
kind of like, you know, this is CJ Graham doing it. It's not Kane Hodder, who everybody really associates as Jason Voorhees. It was CJ Graham that got that, got that light, that limelight. And I'm really glad about that. So how was, what was it like filming that fight scene with CJ? It was long. It was a long night. It, we did it all in one night. Um, you know, it was me, CJ, uh, Joel, who's the producer, was also designing the fight. Uh, ben, Deb, you know, we're out in, you know, that house that we were filming at, we were just in the backyard um, mm-hmm. and just off to the side of the house. And it was on a hill. You know, we spent like the afternoon clearing all the rocks. I don't know if we got them all. I think I landed on a couple every now and then, but it was mm-hmm. just kind of piece by piece you know, shot by shot, coming up with the different sort of moments of the fight, getting in there. And Mm -hmm. it's funny when I was watching it, I I forgot how long it was. And and (laughs) when I was, (laughs) when I was watching it and I, and I was having flashbacks the night of filming it, I was like, wow, this really was a long ass fight. And I remember thinking about like, damn, this just keeps going and going. And, and, you know, you don't know, you know, how, you know, eventually like who's going to come out on top. I mean, I think that like, I think the fanboy sort of has to win, right? Because I mean, what would if CJ just beats me up, then the movie's over, and then what kind of ending is that? Um, and but it was fun. I mean, like working with CJ, he's, he's a consummate professional. Um, you know, we both helped each other get padded up before the fight and, and sort of work through some things. And you know, each take, you know, when we're doing things that you know, when we're putting each other in any sort of danger, we're really just you know, super professional about it, and you know. So it was like a dream come true just to be able to share that moment with him. I mean, I get to fight two Jasons, which is pretty cool. I mean, I got to fight, you know, Kane in a a much smaller fight, um, which was a lot of fun. It was, uh, we did that on the, there were two rounds of filming that we did. And that was during the first round uh, that we did that one. And then the second time, where was that on the second time through? I can't remember. They're just bleeding together now. Um, I want to say that was the first time. Yeah, that was the first round. First round was Kane. Second round was CJ. So it was, yeah, it was just, uh, it was just physically exhausting. You know, I had to, I can't tell you how many times I had to jump through the air and land on the ground. And, you know, CJ did a lot, um, but I had to sort of take a little bit more of the punishment because I fight Haley that night too. Mm-hmm. So Haley and I have a little bit of a skirmish and I had to kind of get bounced around by her a little bit. She does like a throw. I remember that she flips me another time um, and just having to come down, but it was just, you know, that's part of it. That's part of the deal. And it was just fun. I just had a lot of, I mean, I was sore the next day, um, <laughs> but after that, I think I was basically wrapped. So <laughs> it was kind of nice. I could just kind of yeah. like after that, kind of take it easy and, and rest and, and go from there. But it was, it was and, a cool, and, cool and it's experience. It's hard doing a fight scene because you have, you can't like, really move at all when you do a cut like you know what i mean you've got to be in the same spot because what people don't know is that if you once if you take a small step and you're editing this up it's like you just moved out of nowhere you know mm-hmm. it's it just it's out of place and it, yeah yeah and it took I, a lot of it took a lot of practice i mean we walked through it during the yeah. day um and then we had to work through it with Ben, who's the cinematographer, to say, you know, what's the best way to, to capture these specific moments. And what's nice is that you can you can really focus in. I mean, we didn't have to actually fight for five minutes every time. It was okay, just this one little section. Let's right. go through this one little section. CJ, you're going to throw a punt. Like, I remember it was a lot of combos. It was just like, okay, CJ is going to do this and this. And then Vin, you're going to move around. And you're going to step here and do this and take him yeah. out of the shot. 
And you really just have to track the continuity and the screen direction to make sure that like when you, the characters are moving out of the you know, screen left or right, that, that momentum continues and you're not all of a sudden changing direction and yeah. getting confusing and confusing the space. Um, you know, I, I, it was just a good team effort all around on that. That's awesome. So how was Debbie as a, uh, as a director? She was great. I mean, she, you know, she's coming at it from the actor's uh, standpoint. So that was really um, refreshing because that helped me. That's what I needed the most help with. Um, luckily, I was just playing myself, so I didn't really have to reach too deep. Um, it was just more about finding things that she liked. Like, how do you want the voice to sound? How do you want, um, how do you want me to move? What, what should my, where am I at here? Like, who, who, where am I at in my spectrum of like Vinny versus fanboy? And, you know, she was really open to sort of like, you know, collaboration, which is really nice because especially when it came down to like doing some of the kills um, and, you know, it really came down to helping Deb with saying, okay, these are the materials you have. Mm -hmm. These are the types of kills that we can do. And here's, here's a good formula for how to set up some of the camera work for you. Like, this is the setup, this is the payoff. You can get away with doing this. This is how you can hide it. And so since I had a lot of experience with, you know, working well budget and, and things like that, being able to hide the uh, seams and so to speak and say like, well, if we only got this thing, we can only do this one kill with it, then we should probably try to do it this way or that way. And here's some tricks in the old Friday the 13th films that might be fun to bring back. So, um, you know, it was just an overall great experience because she's so sweet. And, yeah. you know, we'd get to set and it would just be like a family environment. We'd start rolling and just try to get through as much of it as possible. Nice. Yeah. And for those that don't know, um, Debbie Suvor, he's not just an amazing actor and director, but she's also an amazing person. Great friend of mine. Uh, when I started my company, Gravestone Films, um, started filming and everything, I had, she was the first person I asked for on advice on how do I go about filming a first movie. And she gave me some amazing advice, helped me with what equipment I would need to get. Um, and just like, just, it was just, I don't know, she just took time out of her schedule just to, you know, help me with what I needed to help. And that's just the type of person she is. And uh, an overall great friend of mine, and a great, uh, great actress. I love her in Friday the 13th. Um, loved her in 13th Fanboy. Um, she's just amazing overall. Um, and uh, I, I just, I really think that it would be a cool idea um, and like to do a 13 fanboy for Halloween, maybe call it 31 fanboy. I think that was a Christopher Norris or Jason Bradford. One of them told me that idea when I interviewed them. And uh, they said they, I think they told her or they were going to tell her or something. I'm like, that's actually a pretty good idea. I'm taking that and I'm running with that. I'm going to mention that to Vincent, to Debbie, to everybody. <laughs> well, I feel, yeah, yeah, that's, that's pretty funny. 31 fan, that's good. That's actually really good. I think that that would be pretty clever. That would be pretty cool. Uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so I guess the last question I have for you is, um, do you have any film, other film projects that you want to promote or anything else that you would like to promote to the listening viewing audience, social media or anything of the sort? Yeah, totally. I mean, I think that fans should definitely check out our YouTube, youtube.com slash Films. W-O-M-P-S-T-O-M-P-F-I-L-M-S. We have a lot of really cool content on there. We have our original film, Pathosis, which is streaming on there right now. I did another short film called Imagine that's streaming up there. You can see the first film I ever did called Red Room, uh, which is a 48-hour film project, which is what, you know, kickstarted me into being able to direct uh, film. Right help me get my feet off the ground we're gonna have some projects coming up um we just finished a project production last uh year called judy 
or this year and now going into next year uh, called Judy, which should, should come out sometime next year. We're going to hit the festival circus with that. Um, I did another, um, an animated project over the, over the pandemic sort of lockdown, uh, which is called ghost chicken. I'm working on that right now. Um, about a, <laughs> about a vegan restaurant that's haunted by the ghost of the chicken and the one girl <laughs> determined to figure out why. Uh, awesome. And then, you know, other than that, I just got a lot of irons in the fire with helping other friends, other friends get their projects off the ground or scripts that I've been writing and, and things like that. Just trying to stay busy. And, and of course, next year we want to get the Network Alone 2 project off the ground and, uh, and get that going. Absolutely. And one last question before we wrap things up. Um, I heard of Jason's Rising, but I, um, I haven't seen it. Is it released? It is. It's on YouTube. Uh, it's actually, uh, if you just search Jason Rising or Friday the 13th fan film, it should pop up. Awesome. Um, I'm sorry if I spoiled some stuff for you, but it's been out for a while you're, now. Too. No, it came out in... I haven't seen it, but I knew, I heard of the project. Yeah, you definitely sure have to check it out. still in, in poster if it was actually released yet. So that's actually really Yeah, exciting. yeah. Like it's, it's released. It was uh, directed by a good friend of mine, James Sweet, uh, shot by uh, a gentleman by the name of Carl Winery. Uh, mm -hmm. Two gentlemen from Portland that brought me onto the production to, to help me out there for about two years uh it came out in august of this year um yeah it's got a great it's got a great story to it it's a it's like a um a retcon from everything after final chapter so it's a direct sequel to friday the 13th the final chapter and it brings in a uh it's got a little bit of an evil dead quality to it and not only does it have an undead jason back up and running around but it also has an undead pamela so uh nice. it's a pretty cool twist on, on the friday the 13th story i helped co-write it co-produce it um and i actually and i have a cameo so you should nice. definitely That's keep exciting. an eye out for me in the film and, i don't think you'll be able to miss me and this is the one like you said i think you said uh, alice is back right yep because okay, we'll i see. did hear that adrian king does return for a film and i thought this is the one and i'm really yep. curious how they do that yep so you'll be able to see it it's, it's woven in there it's pretty cool a surprise again it was one of those things that wasn't the original intention although it was like an early original intention thinking it would never happen and then when we had the opportunity to do it we resurrected that idea wove it into nice. the script and uh you'll have to see for yourself how it plays out awesome well i will be doing that today i can't i guess i got my night planned out <laughs> definitely awesome well i thank you so much vincent for uh, joining me today well thanks for having me yep not a problem you have a great rest of your day and uh i guess um i guess have a happy new year Thank you. Yep. All right. Bye.